Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap hosted by me, Ewan McTeer, and rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've just seen the 26th match day of the La Liga season, and this was the match day of the second Clásico of the season. We'll be getting stuck into that first up, while later in the podcast we'll also hear about the Copa del Rey semi-finalists, Granada, Athletic Club and Real Sociedad. We'll see how they got on with Heath Chester's and Dan Parry. We'll also find out what's going on at Valencia via Paco Pollitt. And coming up straight from Sonmosh. I'm Alex Fitzpatrick and in part two of today's podcast I'll be discussing Hatafi's win over Mallorca. But first let's get things kicked off by discussing the biggest match in world football, El Clasico. It was Real Madrid against Barcelona at the Bernabeu on Sunday night and Real Madrid won 2-0 to move back to the top of the table. Leapfrog in Barcelona, who they trailed by two points and who they now lead by one. This was a tactically fascinating game. I would describe the start of it as being like a basketball game. It was like one team would launch an attack, work their way up the field, move the ball around just outside the opposition area and then try to score and then the other team would launch their attack, work their way all the way up the field to the opposition area. The ball just never seemed to be lost or stolen in midfield. Both Real Madrid and Barcelona seemed to be able to complete each attack all the way to the point where they attempted a shot or a cross. This though was only up until the first goal which came through Vinicius Jr. So Vinicius opened the scoring helped by a Gerard Piquet deflection. He really is an expert at scoring goals that fly in off defenders. That's about four goals now for Real Madrid where that's been the case. But after Vinicius opened the scoring, Real Madrid started to turn the screw and dominate a little. And then in stoppage time, when Barcelona were seeking an equaliser, it was actually Real Madrid who got a second. So Real Madrid win this Clásico 2-0 and I'm thrilled to be joined now by La Liga Lodan's Barcelona expert Roman de Arquer to break this one down. First question Roman, was 2-0 a fair result? 
After the first half, I honestly thought Barcelona were at least deserving at that point of the game. But the second half was like completely different because Madrid were all over Barcelona. And definitely they were deserving uh, to win. And I mean, maybe one I think would have been a fair result. But there's not really much difference between one or two goals, to be honest. So in the end, it was Madrid deserving to win. And that's what happened. So I think it was, it was fair uh, one way or another. I agree with you there that Barcelona were better in the first half then. Real Madrid were better in the second half. What did you think of the the flow of the game? I mostly agree with your assessment here. I think um, Barcelona were better in the first half, although the first maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, uh, both teams were quite timid. We could say they weren't really going forward. They were trying to find their their pace. They were trying to situate themselves on the field. But then from there on, Barca definitely had control of that first half. They had really good chances, which I think should have ended in goal. I mean, that could have changed the, the game, and especially in that second half. But it wasn't the case, and Madrid came out really strong in that second half Uh, physically they maintained the rhythm they even kept pushing and pressing Barcelona up high uh, near their box and that's where they Barca really struggled and weren't capable of finding passes even though Setien made a few changes in my opinion slightly late uh, that still didn't uh, give any effect except for that really good Braithwaite occasion so I mean credit to Madrid for keeping out that level and, and playing that well in that second half and one of the players who played so well was Vinicius who scored the opener for Real Madrid and who was great throughout, right? Indeed, I mean, he's proving to be a fantastic player for Real Madrid. We saw it against uh, Manchester City, even though uh, they lost the game. Vinicius was definitely one of the standout players of that match. And once again, against another strong team, he proved he's got a lot of quality, a lot of talent. He can do a lot of damage uh, down that left wing. And in the end, he got a deserved goal. I mean, we've always talked about how he's very unfortunate towards goal, how he misses very clear opportunities. But uh, he got that deserved goal. And I mean, he was definitely one of Madrid's standout players, no doubt. Who else from Real Madrid stood out to you in this game? I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, Casemiro's good game, Fede Valverde, Toni Kroos, but I want to point out Isco. I think he was uh, really good in this game. I mean, Zidane's giving him a lot of trust and he's repaying that uh, trust with good games against City, against um, Barcelona. And he was generating a lot in attack, uh, had some really good chances, especially that shot from outside the box, which Ter Stegen uh, saved majestically. So I think he was a very good player and he's doing a good job lately. And also, of course we have to point out Thibaut Courtois who was fantastic he made some really really important saves and he's gained so much confidence with the ball in his feet I remember a few years back uh, Chelsea even at Madrid's first uh, year he, he didn't really you know have that confidence in himself when the ball was played to his feet and would usually get rid of it but now you know he's taking his time he's finding those passes and Madrid are bringing the ball out from the back uh, thanks to Thibaut Courtois in part so uh, great game from him also Isco is a good shout there, a bit of a below-the-radar masterclass from him. Now, what did you think about Marcelo? I thought Barcelona could exploit him on the left side when I saw that he was starting ahead of Ferran Mondi, but that wasn't actually the case. Uh, Marcelo is always a liability, especially, especially defensively. I do agree that Barca could have made more out of that situation, taking into account Mendy wasn't playing, and I think he's a much more complete player nowadays, of course, because I mean Marcelo has an age, and he's not at his best physically, and he's never been a great, great defender, it has to be said. So I was really hoping for a 4-3-3 with maybe uh, Ansu Fati or Braithwaite, one of those wings, trying to make the most uh, of uh, the spaces Marcelo would leave at the back when attacking forward. 
forward. But unfortunately, uh, Setien went with a 4-4-2, which I think wasn't too bad in the end, especially that first half. But I thought he, he he's played better games, or at least um, Kike Setien's Barca has played better games with a 4-3-3 so far this season. But unfortunately, they didn't make the most of, of Marcelo, even though he had some good... Um, moments especially when he cut that messy opportunity in the second half which looked like a clear goal but he came you know from behind kept the pressure and managed to touch the ball enough to get it away from Lionel Messi. Now what about Barcelona players did anyone really stand out for good or for bad? I'm going to start with the positives. I think Pique was definitely one of the best uh, players in this game, which is surprising because he's had a very uh, irregular season, we could say. But, you know, against Madrid at the Bernabeu, he always steps up his game and he was uh, fantastic, I think. Very unfortunate with the goal in the end. He tried his best to cut uh, Vinicius Chubb, but uh, got deflected in goal. Um, also, I really like Busquets' game. He's also stepped up his game with Kike Setien. I think he, he's really important for him. And I think once again, he proved uh, he was crucial in bringing the ball out the, from the back and trying to get Barcelona to move forward towards attack. And maybe I could even say Semedo, despite being quite unfortunate in Benitez's goal where he chases Benzema, leaves the space behind. Although he knows Braithwaite is there, but you can't really trust that. So it was a bit of a risky move. Apart from that, I thought he was he did quite well with Benitez taking into account. Uh, Benitez is a very complicated player to defend. He took the ball off him in quite a few occasions. And I think defensively he was quite solid. Unfortunately, in attack, he didn't have as much presence as I would have liked. And maybe the negative aspect I have to point out, Arturo that in that second half suddenly he was just so imprecise with the ball on his feet he was making lots of mistakes and that was providing Madrid with a lot of counter-attacks so I think Setien there uh, should have taken him off the pitch quite sooner but unfortunately it took a bit too long and uh, you know things didn't work out in the end for Barcelona You've touched on Kiki Setien's tactics already so let's look into this a bit more this was Setien's first classical and he actually has a good record at the Bernabeu with the other team's He's coached, but he couldn't come up with a plan to win this game. Where did he go wrong? Firstly, I got the feeling that Kike Setien was more worried about defending Barca's position in the standings in La Liga rather than wanting to win at the Bernabeu, you know, and, and increasing that point difference they had. Why do I say this? Well, at the press conference, for example, before the game, uh, Kike Setien was already trying to shift the pressure towards Real Madrid by saying that uh, they were more desperate to get the three points than Barcelona because they were behind uh, in the standings. But I just don't think that was the right approach because let's not forget that Barca has been uh, the better side at the Bernabeu in recent years, which is something you have to make the most of, I think. And also, um, he put a 4-4-2, form 4-4-2 formation, which kind of also gives him more of a defensive version of Barcelona than if you play a 4-3-3, which I think would have been a better decision. Because take into account that Real Madrid is a team that likes to attack a lot they have two fullbacks such as Carabajal and Marcelo who like to go forward if you have guys like Ansu Fati or Braithwaite who can make the most of those spaces left behind by those um, attacking fullbacks from Real Madrid then he could have done a lot of damage and that also creates or, or forces the defense to split up to also to f um, creating more uh, spaces in the middle and I think Barca would have done a lot more damage that way and another mistake we could say from that 4-4-2 was the fact that he already, already had four midfielders on the pitch. So what does that mean? Only Rakitic was on the bench and with his actual current form, 
he isn't a good uh, alternative to have to bring on to try and change the game. And as we saw, he didn't really give too much uh, to that game for Barcelona, apart from a bit more possession. So I just uh, think in terms of formation and in terms of uh, approach, Kike Setien didn't get it exactly right. Thanks, Roman. So that's our classical recap. It was a true thriller and one which really could define the title. We'll have to wait to see if this does spur Real Madrid onto their first title in three years or if Barcelona can fight back. Remember, they're just one point behind. And of course, we'll be keeping you up to date on all of the title race right here on La Liga Lowdown with our various podcasts and all our content on our Twitter feed. This is everything we've got for part one, but stay tuned because after the break, we have so many other matches to get stuck into. We'll do that after this short pause. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. We've already discussed El Clasico. Now let's look at some of the other big matches of the weekend, starting with Valencia versus Real Betis. This is often a classic and it was an entertaining watch once again as Valencia won 2-1 with second half goals from Kevin Gamero and Danny Pereo before Lauren Moron pulled one back in vain for the visitors. Paco Bullet joins me now and Paco, I thought it was actually Real Betis who were the better team in the first half. But then Valencia improved in the second half when Gonzalo Guedes came on. What was it that Guedes brought to the table? Getting Guedes on the pitch was crucial towards Valencia openly, asking for a two-way game with permanent attacks on both boxes, and that's where Guedes is usually at his best. The spaces he generated were key for Gamedo to find a tiny window and score an absolute rocket of a goal. Since that point onward, Valencia were in control of the game. Once again, Real Betis had so much possession, but they couldn't make it count. What is their problem this season? 
I believe their problem lies in the way they're unable to get the opposition to play the way they want. Instead, Betis usually deliver unreliable performances, showing their inability to keep consistent the whole 90 minutes with both ball possession and chances while keeping at bay the other team. The result is usually negative for them as they lose control of the game and are easily dismantled at the back, where their main weakness lies. Valencia's second half did exactly that because of the quality of their players. Once Parejo and Condogbia got the steering wheel of the game, it was lights out for Betis. Valencia goalkeeper Jasper Sillison played again after 84 days. How did he look? I think he did look pretty solid overall. He had a great save after that Joaquin free kick I mentioned earlier and looked consistent and confident throughout the game. He only made one tiny mistake after a cross, which he absolutely missed when trying to clear the air ball. But if we leave that aside, his comeback was everything the team and the keeper could have asked for. Thanks Paco, that was a big result for Valencia to keep their Champions League hopes alive, but currently in the Champions League qualification spots we have Hitafe and Sevilla. Sevilla moved into fourth in dramatic fashion as they hosted Osasuna on Sunday. They seem to be cruising after goals from Yusuf and Nesri and Lucas Ocampos and after Osasuna goalkeeper Sergio Herrera was sent off for a handball outside of the box. But then Sevilla relaxed too much, something that's been a problem a lot this season and then Osasuna got back into it. Ari Dani Hernandez with one goal and then Roberto Torres from the penalty spot after Sevilla were this time punished for handball. But Osasuna, they couldn't stick the landing. There were eight minutes of injury time, enough time for Enneseri to score again and they had a 3-2 win for Sevilla. Hitafi, meanwhile, they're still in third in that other Champions League spot after a very impressive result in midweek when they knocked out Ajax out of the Europa League. This time they were off to Mallorca. Here's Alex Fitzpatrick now with a report from the island. I'm Alex Fitzpatrick at Sunmosh where Hetafe have just beaten Real Mallorca by one goal to nil. The winning goal was a Maximovic header from a Kennedy cross on the left. He found him unmarked in the middle of the box and he powered it home. Mata almost got the second. A couple of good saves from Manolo Reina in the second half of the game. But really the controversy here is and you'll be able to hear it in a moment as the referee walks off the pitch, is around how the home crowd perceives that this game has been refereed. Hetafe are going to Hetafe, and that is exactly what they did today. Let's first talk about the football side of things. They pressed really high, they made it really difficult for Mallorca to play any football, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's good play on the pitch and, and good management from Jose Bordalas. Mallorca having to resort to play it long, no Ante Budimir because of uh, injury today and they didn't really have a focal target man up there. Uh, so the football side, you know, Hetafe did that well, but then as I say, Hetafe, Hetafe. Once they got that goal ahead, they started to waste time and the referee really not taking any decisive action to stop them from doing that until the very closing stages of the match. The frustration on the Mallorca bench boiling over, Salva Sevilla picking up two yellow cards from the bench, making red and being sent off whilst on the bench. He will miss next week's crucial game against Ibar away from home really important for Mallorca and, and, and that will be particularly disappointing for them. Overall for Mallorca though they can't be too disappointed with
with the result not creating really any clear-cut opportunities on goal. Lots of frustration here at Sommarsh. Hetafe have done what they are good at. They've come here, they've picked up another three points away from home, the third-best away side in La Liga before today. Real Mallorca come away with nothing, looking to be in real trouble now. Final score at Sommarsh, Real Mallorca nil, Hetafe 1. Let's discuss some of the other matches around the league now. On Saturday, I went to watch Leganes versus Alaves, a fixture I remember watching in the second division just four years ago when Alaves coach Azir Garitano was then Leganes coach and when both teams, they were marching towards promotion that season. Leganes are now in real danger of slipping back into that division. They lost their main forward when Martin Brathwaite left for Barcelona and this was so clear in this game. After falling behind a Lucas Perez goal, Guido Carrillo pulled Leganes back level, but Leganes then dominated so much in the final stages that they should have scored a winner, they just lacked a goal scorer to provide it for them. Now, speaking of goal scorers, are there any as important as Raul de Thomas right now? The Espanyol January signing didn't technically score this weekend as it went down as a Stefan Savage own goal in Espanyol's 1-1 draw with Atletico Madrid, but he did create the goal after also netting in each of his first five appearances for the club. He was back from injury and helped his team earn a huge point against Atleti, who were saved by a Saul Rocket. He only scores wonder goals or important goals, doesn't he? Raul Garcia to take the penalty. And he slots it home. 1-0 to Athletic. From the penalty spot is Raul Garcia. That was the sound of Raul Garcia firing Athletic Club towards a 1-0 victory over Villarreal on Sunday, ending a 10-match winless run for Athletic in the league. They played quite well, but they did need a helping hand, literally, as they were awarded two penalties for handballs. We speak to Dan Barry now, our man in the Basque Country. Dan, what did you make of the handballs that led to the penalties, one which Raul Garcia scored and one which Iñaki Williams had saved? To be honest, yeah, I think we're a bit fortunate. I, I find the handball rule at the moment quite confusing and quite inconsistent. I'm glad it was given because at the end of the day, Athletic needed needed that first penalty, especially to to get in front and, and to win the game. But to be honest, if it had been in the other area, I'm not too sure I would have been very happy about it because I don't know what the player could have done to get out of the way, to be quite honest. With the second one, I think it's... It was a bit more favourable towards Atleti because he was, for me, in a more unnatural position. But the the first one, the one that came off, that was a shot from Iñaki Williams. I don't really know what else the defender could have done there. I agree. The handball rule is quite frustrating. And I agree, I don't think the first penalty was a penalty, but the second one probably was. Now, there were 22 Spanish players in this match's starting lineups. That hasn't happened in La Liga for six years since Eibar versus Real Sociedad in 2014. It's quite special, right? And which of these players, if any, would have stood out to Luis Enrique for a potential Spain selection? That is quite cool. I didn't know that, to be honest. I think also it's quite telling that uh, that the last one did happen up in, up in the Basque country as well, because to be honest, it's something that we're quite used to up here, especially with Atletic and La Real, uh, the teams that like to play with players from their own cantera. So seeing an entire squad or an entire team that are from from the region is is completely normal for us. In terms of players that stood out for a potential Spain selection, 
The obvious one, the one that lots of people are talking about is Unai Simon, uh, who's having an absolutely fantastic season in goal for Athletic Club at the moment. Again, he made an incredible save. If you haven't seen it yet, go look back at the save that he made uh, against Gerard Moreno early on. I think it was in like the seventh minute of the game because there was no no way he should have saved that goal. And to be honest, the other player that stood out, apart from like an Atletico player, was Sergio Asenjo for Villarreal because he also made some fantastic saves. Uh, he made some great double saves. I think he made a double save. Uh, he saved Iñaki Williams' penalty and then he saved the 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 shot that came afterwards from Raúl García. But also the save that he made against Inigo Martínez was incredible. That definitely should have been a goal and should have settled the game for Athletic. So yeah, Sergio Shenko and Unai Simón. It was kind of a tale of two goalkeepers. Looking ahead now to Athletic Club's Copa del Rey semi-final second leg against Granada after they won the first leg one nil. What's the mood like right now around Athletic Club ahead of that second leg? I would say that people are optimistic. But at the same time, they don't want to get too ahead of themselves. Uh, I think that they realise that Granada are definitely a very complicated team and it's not going to be any easy feat to go down to Los Carmenes and and win the game. But it does also feel like this, this is Athletic Club's year. This might be the best chance that they have for an entire generation to actually go and win win the Copa again. But, like I said, at the same time, no one's getting ahead of themselves just yet. Well, apart from some people, obviously. I know people have already booked tickets to Sevilla, to be honest. But most people are uh, staying in the moment. Real Sofia also have a semi-final second leg coming up. They got a 1-0 win over Valladolid on Friday night to warm up for it. I'll ask the same question. What is the mood like around Real Sofia right now, ahead of their second leg against Mirandes after they won their first game 2-1? As for Real Sociedad, I think it's much of the same. People are people are optimistic, people are hopeful. Just like Athletic Club, they know that this probably is their best chance to, to reach a final and will be their best chance to reach a final for many years to come. Um, but they're also fully aware of what Mirandes have done to get to the semi-finals and I don't think that they're taking this game lightly um, at all. And I think as well they'll be in for a very tough test in Anduba. But same with Athletic Club. Like I said before, everyone is fully aware that this is the best chance that they're going to have to to get some silverware, perhaps for another 20 or 30 years. Let's hear now from Heath Chesters in Granada ahead of their participation in the Copa del Rey semi-finals. Granada played on Saturday night and drew 0-0 with Celta Vigo. But Heath, after a quiet first half, there were actually quite a lot of chances in the second half of this one. How did it end up finishing without any goals? Yeah, it was one of those games where you wonder how nothing ended up in the back of the net because it wasn't for lack of chances throughout the game. Vadil really should have buried a good chance that he had in the first half. Uh, Then in the second half, Granada were pushing forward more and more uh, whilst they were nullifying Celta Vigo at the other end. Uh, There was a good shout for a handball uh, late in the second half and then Puertas, after he came on, brilliant opportunity, great header, against one post, whizzed across the line, out off the other post. So I think it just ended up being one of those games where the ball just didn't want to go in the back of the net. Granada have been using a new tactical formation in recent weeks with three centre-backs. How has that looked and how did it work in this game? 
Well, it's actually not that new a system for Diego Martinez. Um, he quite often played with three centre-backs in Segunda last season. And I think he would have liked to have used it a little bit more this season in Primera had he had everyone available uh, when he needed them. Uh, just simply a case of uh, not having three available centre-backs to, to use the system more often due to injuries or suspensions from, from the available central defenders. Um, but it's a system that I think he likes to use when he's facing a side that play with three in attack, uh, such as Celta Vigo. And it, it works pretty well. Uh, it, it keeps the goals down and it pretty much nullified Aspas, Smolov and Sisto throughout the game. Finally, what is the mood like around Granada right now ahead of the Copa del Rey semi-final second leg against Athletic Club? The Granada fans are, are thoroughly enjoying themselves. Uh, it's not often Granada in the top half of the table or look likely to finish in the top half of the table. Uh, it's certainly not often that Granada make the, the semi-finals of a cup competition. So, you know, they're really going to town with it. There's, there's flags going up throughout the city, throughout the barrios and all the neighbourhoods, in all the windows, on all the roundabouts. Um, there's uh, Avenida Europa, which is near, not far from the ground. Uh, leading up to one of the shopping centres. That's all, the whole street is lined with flags and there's a few other streets like that uh, around the city. So everybody's looking forward to it. And the, the impression that you get from a lot of fans, obviously, uh, we, we hope that Granada win and can get to the final at La Cartuja, uh, whoever they get to play. But um, it, it's just going to be a party atmosphere for that second leg. There'll be disappointment if they don't get through against Athletic Club, but they're really fired up for it. The team's fired up for it. The manager's fired up for it. All the fans are fired up for it. They just want to enjoy themselves. And it gives sort of the impression that they've got nothing to lose. They weren't expected to get that far. They weren't expected to get to the final. There's been a lot of talk from Athletic Club fans and in Bilbao and in the press, national and local, uh, up that way that they're expecting to get through. They're expecting a final against L'Areal. Uh, they're expecting an all-Basque final. Um, I wouldn't bank on it just yet um, because I think Granada will give themselves a good shout to make the final. Hopefully they'll get through. Uh, it'd be, be fantastic for me uh, as an experience simply having started watching Granada on dirt pitches in Tercera Division uh, 15 odd years ago and, and to, to enjoy the adventure that I have with them. But, um, you know, either way, it, it's been a season for Granada fans to be proud of. We have just one more game to reflect on from this weekend and it's Eibar's 3-0 victory over Levante on Saturday. After Levante defeated Real Madrid the previous weekend, they were brought crashing back down to earth in Iparua as Eibar won convincingly. Charlie has got the first two and could even have had a hat-trick, but he missed a penalty. Not to worry though for Eibar, as Fabian Orellana was on hand to Adderford and to cap off a big win for them. That's all we have for this match day recap. Remember, we're here after every round to sum up and analyse the matches by speaking to people who are based all around Spain and who are absolute experts in their local clubs. That's what we had this week from Roman de Arcaire, Paco Pollitt, Alex Fitzpatrick, Dan Parry and Heath Chesters. So my thanks go out to all of them for their contributions. I'm Ewan McTeer and I've been your host and I thank you very much for listening. Until next time.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 